In the meantime, I'm really excited to introduce Chris. Chris uh, is speaking to us this evening. Chris has been with St. Nick since the beginning. He works for the Bible Society. He, uh, he knows everything there is to know about the Bible. He wanted everyone to know that. Uh, and I'm delighted to have him speaking to us tonight. Let's welcome Chris. Thank, thanks, Josh. We'll, um, we'll come on to that a little bit later, the fact that I'm not a Bible expert, but we'll, we'll get there a little bit later. So I was told that I should hold the microphone close to my chest here which is really difficult for me, because my father was Italian. And you know what Italians are like? They like to wave their arms. <laughs> you know, when, when I communicate, I tend to move a bit and move my arms. So we'll see how we get on. Um, so I'm Chris. I'm married to Karen. I can't see at the moment, but she's there somewhere. Um, we've got three kids, Luca, Amelia, and Micah. I think a couple of them are there as well. Um, and we've been part of St. Nick's pretty much since the start. We, we saw a group of people come into Bristol, this town that we, we love, that we've lived in for a long time. Um, these people come in with a bit of passion, a bit of energy, um, and, and a real desire to see God doing more in this, this city. And we became a bit nosy, and we kind of signed up to Instagram and things like that, and the rest is history. Now, I was told that that was a, a bit of a short introduction, so I should... Uh, expand a little bit. So I'm Bristol born and bred. Um, I grew up in Withywood, so I lived through, yay, on Josh's patch um, until I was 10. Moved to Whitchurch, which again is not far away down in, in South Bristol, and then moved to Knoll. I've only ever lived three miles from where I live today. Um, my kids go to the same school that I went to, and, and in my world, that's quite rare. I work with people that have kind of been on the move all their lives, that have lived in 25 different countries, and um, you know, this is like an alien concept for them, but I think it gives me some, some nice roots. Now, I say I've always lived in Bristol. I had one year um, in Southampton. Anyone from Southampton? No? <laughs> You're not missing much. Um, I spent... <laughs> Sorry. Um, there's probably someone online, isn't there? And I'm in real trouble now. Um, yeah, so I spent a year in Southampton studying physics and not really doing it kind of well, not being fully on board with it, and that's the kind of subject that you have to be really on board with. Um, it's not for the faint-hearted and not for those people that are just kind of dabbling in it. Um, so I came back to Bristol, and when I got back to Bristol, I had this real passion to do youth work in South Bristol, to be involved in, um, you know, bringing Jesus to um, the, the young people of South Bristol where there's lots of need, and, and that was my thing. And then, you know, that was great. And then I felt a calling from God to get involved in business, which was quite a turnaround. So I'd, I'd restarted my studies. I was studying sociology with a view to youth work. And then all of a sudden, I had to pivot again into economics, which is quite an easy pivot. I ended up working for one of the supermarket chains. Um, most of you won't remember them, but they're called Summerfield. And they were quite a big deal, big employer in South Bristol. Um, and, and again, you know, I ended up in this world... Um, doing lots of business stuff, learning lots about how to do business strategy and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, fell into consulting, doing even more kind of business stuff, consulting with retailers and, and people like that. And, um, and Karen and I prayed a really dangerous prayer. Yeah, and we might come back to this later, but we prayed this dangerous prayer. We, we prayed, Lord, don't let us be comfortable being comfortable. And that's a really dangerous prayer, because that's an easy prayer for God to kind of say, yeah, we'll, we'll bank that one and make that one happen. So, so ever since, it's been kind of a, a bumpy ride, but it's been really exciting. 
Um, and, and I'll tell you a little bit about the work that I do in the Bible societies later. But, but anyway, um, yeah, don't be comfortable being comfortable. And um, let's hold on to that. That's a bit about my story. I do a lot of presentations, actually. Um, I've literally been heckled in every single continent um, for speaking too quickly and for speaking with too much of a Bristolian accent. Now, I don't think I've got that strong a Bristolian accent, but apparently it's really difficult to understand, especially for French people. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So I've been heckled all over the world. And, and, you know, I run these presentations. I don't tend to preach. And actually, the last preach that I did was quite a few years back. And I had quite a free theme to preach on. And I preached about Jesus, Spider-Man, and chaos theory. And it kind of shows that I'm a bit of a nerd. When I was at school, I was a school chess team captain and, and things like that. And so I am totally a nerd. And um, hence, tonight, you're going to get a load of Star Wars references. So I hope you're okay with that. But um, if you're not tough, because that's what I've built the whole talk on. Um, okay, more Star Wars later. Yeah, I missed the trick. The, the sermon title was um, a New Motivation, and I really should have pushed to get A New Hope, shouldn't I? You know, that would have been spot on as a nod to Star Wars. But again, we'll, we'll get back to that. So, so my day job working for the United Bible Societies. Now, you might be thinking, well, I've heard of the Bible Societies, never heard of United Bible Societies. Who are they? What do they do? So we support around 150 Bible Societies around the world, working in about 200 countries and, and territories. We're bigger than Alpha. Um, I sometimes joke that... The only organizations with a wider reach than us are the United Nations, the Red Cross, and the CIA, which is quite interesting because my kids, when, I was, when they were younger and I traveled a lot, were convinced that I was a spy. So I'm not, but hey, well, Toby said that, you know, that's exactly what you would say if you were a spy. <laughs> but anyway, United Bible Societies, we translate the Bible. Um, there are still over a billion people that don't have the Bible in their first language. You know, in this day and age, it's kind of crazy, but uh, over a billion people. Um, we revise the Bible. You know, we bring it into modern language because, you know, the these and nows and nys and wherefores and, and all that kind of stuff that we had in the old King James, that doesn't cut it anymore. It becomes a, a kind of a barrier for people. So we, we bring the Bible up to speed, up to, to modern language. We publish the Bible. We distribute the Bible. We help churches to bring the Bible to life. And when I say churches, I mean all churches. We work across all the different confessions. We work with the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, the Pentecostal Church, everything in between. Um, and it, it gives us a certain richness, I think. We, so we help those churches bring the Bible to life. We run literacy programs. Um, the United Nations love our literacy programs. I guess, you know, if you're giving people a book, you want to help them to be able to read it. So, so our literacy programs are great. Um, we run trauma healing. So we use scripture to help churches to bring trauma healing to, to, to different people. And that's really a key part of what we do. People love that. Um, we've, we've got a really interesting program that, that works across Africa. where we're, It's called the Good Samaritan Project. And it helps um, communities to destigmatize HIV and AIDS in their communities. Using scripture to help people to be compassionate and to you know, to break down some of those stigmas. And, and we partner with a load of really interesting, amazing organizations that are continuously innovating and, and doing new stuff to, to make the Bible more accessible for people, more impactful. Um, in a typical year, we would distribute around 30 million Bibles. 
and half a billion portions of the Bible. Now, when I say portion, I mean things like a gospel or a New Testament or whatever, but half a billion, that's a lot of, uh, of Bible out there. So contrary to what we might hear here in the UK, this book is still very much alive, still very much in demand all around the world. Um, you might have come across a version. You've almost definitely come across their app. I'm going to ask Isaac to pop something up on, on here while I'm talking. But YouVersion are great partners of the Bible societies. They're up to about 500 million and something downloads of, of their app. I've got a little tongue twister that my daughter loves. Um, I think that YouVersion were the first non-Apple app in the Apple App Store. Yeah, the non-Apple app in the Apple App Store. Managed to get it out without tripping over. Um, you know, they're, they're big. Again, pointing to that that suggestion that actually this is a really important book for people. If you look at this map, the one on the screen, you'll see these little dots popping up. And each white dot on there is someone opening the YouVersion app right now. This is real time, you know? And, and it shows you which chapter that they're, they're going to. I find this mesmerizing. I could sit here watching it all day. I've been told I can't leave it on the screen tonight because they need to put other things up there. But, um, yeah, I find this mesmerizing and really encouraging. You know, when Hattie was praying about Brazil earlier, you know, look how many people are using the Bible in Brazil right this minute, right there. But also, when you look at some of those other places in the world where you might think, actually, it's difficult for the Bible to get in there, there are little lights just popping up. I find it, yeah, just uh, really inspiring. Now, I guess for the record, I work for the United Bible Societies, but I don't really do all of that stuff I was talking about. I'm not a translator. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. Do you ever get imposter syndrome? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's kind of a fancy way of saying, do you ever find yourself flagging it? Um, I do. <laughs> I look around the virtual room that I've got at work, and I'm surrounded by people that are genuinely the best in the world at some of the stuff that they do. So we've got people that might be... Um, checking the Greek manuscripts and checking the grammar of those so that the Bible translators can have the best possible source materials to do their translations from. Um, I've, I've worked with people that... I've, I was in a meeting, and, and these three guys switched language to some ancient Hebrew dialect yeah, to kind of check something out before they said it in English. You know, the sort of thing where you WhatsApp people kind of under the table when you want to check something out in a meeting. And then, um, and then you actually say it. They did this, but they just switched to another language. They switched to ancient, this ancient Hebrew dialect that only six people in the world can understand. Those are the kinds of people that I'm dealing with. Um, we've got people that um, have been imprisoned for their faith. You know, how small do I feel when you, you're with these guys that have really been up against it and are still kind of going for it? Um, we've got people that are developing artificial intelligence to help the, the Bible translation process. Um, we've got people, I've got people that, um, they're in WhatsApp groups with presidents of their country, with billionaires, with archbishops and, um, you know, church leaders and cardinals and, and people like that. That's not me. You know, if you've got a really tough technological, theological question, you know, you want to speak to a Bible expert, it's not me. It's not me. Um, if you've got a church politics question or you want an explanation of all the strengths and weaknesses of all of the different English versions of the Bible... Um, if, you want, uh, if you want to get into some of that stuff, come to Alpha or talk to a vicar or, a, or you know, an ordinand or, or someone around, one of our great theologians that we've got in the room. It's not me. If you ask me, you'll get a blank look. I might be able to phone a friend, but I'm not going to be able to give you those, uh, those tricky answers. 
you know, when I was recruited to the Bible societies, my friends who became my boss said, Chris, are you free at the moment? We could really use you at UBS. And, and my response, you know, still being a business consultant and, and doing that kind of stuff, was, are you sure? Um, I'm not a theologian. I don't know a thing about Bible translation. I've never been involved in publishing. I've hardly traveled, bloody bloody. You know, there was a dozen, dozen reasons that I gave him of, you know, why he might want to go and ask someone else. And his response was an arm lock. It was almost like checkmate. Um, it was impossible to wriggle out of. And he said, Chris, in the kingdom of God, availability is more important than ability. Yeah, how'd you get out of that, right? How'd you get out of that? In the kingdom of God, availability is more important than ability. Um, and I guess for the last nine years, I've been almost constantly out of my comfort zone, you know, not comfortable being comfortable, um, repeating that line to myself under my breath, in the kingdom of God, availability is more important than ability. You know? So basically, in the Bible societies, I'm the fix-it guy. Um, the guy that pushes Bible societies to innovate, the, the guy that helps fix broken organizations. I kind of help Bible societies respond to shocks, whether that's pandemics or wars or, or whatever. I guess I lie awake at night trying to figure out how do, we, how do we maintain this great Bible mission for the next 50 or 100 years. And I've got this brilliant team of people that help me to do that. It kind of turns out, though, that the Bible societies have loads of theologians and have got loads of translators and, and those kinds of people, but they don't have lots of people that have done business. So, you know, there's that kind of availability is more important than ability, but, you know, it helps sometimes. Um, but I would say to you, if someone ever uses that line on you, in the kingdom of God, availability is more important than ability, well, I'm, you're stuck. It is checkmate. You, you're going to end up having to run with it, but go with it. It could be fun. Um, it almost definitely won't be boring. And of course, you've always got that get out of jail card, haven't you? You know, if you're really stuck and you have no idea what's going on around you, you can just tell yourself, yeah, in the kingdom of God, availability is more a bit important than ability. Here I am. You know. Okay, so one of the, um, one of the parts of my role is the, the stats and, and, you know, I get to be a data geek at work. I run the team that do surveys and, and stuff like that. And one tool that I've come to know and love is called Mentimeter. I think we've used it here in church before. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping you'll indulge me and join on a, a Mentimeter survey. So if you can get your mobile phones out, don't hear that often in church, get your phone out. Kids, you're allowed to get your phone out today in church. <laughs> and, um, and see if you can get that QR code. My mum doesn't have a mobile phone that is working, you know, she doesn't have a smartphone, and I'm hoping she's here tonight, and I'm hoping this will inspire her to get a smartphone. Um, but yeah, sign up and give us a little nod and um, you know, tick one of those boxes, a heart or a, a cat. I don't know what that's about, but I think it's a cat. I hope it's a cat. Um, anyway, we're going we're gonna to ask some really important questions and, and get, get the kind of feel from the room. So let's see if this works. So the first really important question that you'll see popping up on your phone is which is your favorite Star Wars film? It's really important. Now, some of that data is from this morning. And there was, there was a lot of hate for Star Wars this morning. I don't know if you've spotted that. So I'm hoping that we've got a little bit more love in the room for, for this one. Yeah, I knew this would be controversial. I think it's probably an age thing. Let's see how we go. Let's see how we go. 
later on, there's, um, there's a question asked about how much you read your Bible. And I've noticed just with this small sample group this morning, there's a correlation between people who hate Star Wars and the fact that they don't read their Bible as much as people that love <laughs> Star Wars. So I don't know what that tells you. But anyway, um, yeah, let's, um, let's, let's move on. Let's, um, just to understand a little, about, little bit about who we've got in the room. And, you know, th- these are some stats. I know Amy is going to love some of these stats when we, when we pull them up to understand, you know, how many men and women have we got in the room? And, and then we can, we can link that. It's all anonymous, by the way. But, um, yeah, it's, it's helpful to have some of these stats. And we can, I think maybe in a... In a year's time, we might repeat it and see if anything's changed. But anyway, for now, let's stick with that. I hope you've managed to answer that simple question. And then another simple question about your age. We had a lot of over-40s this morning. I think that's going to change this evening. <laughs> there we go, edging up. I think a lot of the people this morning couldn't actually use their phone either. So <laughs> There we go. Keep going. Let's keep it coming. All right, we'll move on to... Um, Move on to a proper question. Excluding church services, how often do you read or listen to the Bible? You know, is it every day? Is it roughly once a week? Is it once a month? Is it hardly ever or, or whatever? So let's see, see how you get on with that one. Again, this is the one that I linked with the, uh, the Star Wars data. And uh, maybe we'll develop a new church strategy. Okay, how are we doing? How are we doing? Let's, let's move on to the next question. What prompts you to read your Bible? What prompts you to read your Bible? Is it nagging from a friend? Is it the fact that you've got into a really good habit? Um, is it that you want to check out what the people said on Sunday just to make sure that they're not kind of completely, you know, trying to find where does Yoda appear in the Old Testament or something like that? He doesn't, by the way. Okay, I'm going to speed through these. Which of these do you use most to read the Bible? Is it your mobile phone, or is it a print copy that you own, or is it a print copy that's in your family, or, or something like that, or do you use your computer? Do you go on social media and just take the verse of the days, or Two big blobs. I think in some cultures, actually, that, that owning the Bible as a family or whatever is, is more of a thing. But I guess in, in our context, it's likely to be one of those two. Okay, next question. How do you prefer to explore the Bible? Do you like to do it on your own? Do you like to do it with friends? Do you like to do it with family? Is it not really a thing for you? <laughs> interesting split on age groups from this morning. It'd be interesting to see how that plays out tonight. But. Okay, and I think, ah, okay, this is an interesting question. What gets in the way of you reading your Bible? Is it things like not having time available? Is it the fact you just don't understand it or don't know where to start? Is it the fact that it's just not interesting for you or, or something like that?
I think this is the last question. What's your take on the Bible? That's a really broad question. But, you know, hey, what, what does it mean to you? Is it something that guides you? Is it the way that you hear from God? Is it um, something that gives you hope? Is it, um, is it an interest in poetry? Is it history? Okay, see the one on the right-hand side in the top? It says, it gives me hope. And that's the one that I'm really going to major on for the rest of this talk. Um, The last time, I think the only time I've ever stood up here with a microphone um, was nearly two years ago, and I was reading the eulogy at my father's funeral. It's been a really tough season, and for so many. I was recently reflecting with Karen, and it seems like everybody we speak to has had some really tough stuff going on over the last couple of years. And not just little stuff that can be kind of waved away with a few platitudes, you know, a nice card or some flowers, but really big stuff. Things like illness, things like mental health issues, mourning and loss, um, anxiety, financial worries, concern for loved ones. So much big stuff that people are going up against at the moment. And, And it feels like that's all around us and there's a heaviness there. And... And I'd say, you know, when we're, when we're facing this kind of heaviness, a few words of empathy that come through the ages, a few words of hope for the future go a long way. And for me at the moment, that's what the Bible is, some empathy that has stood the test of time and a bit of hope in a book. Now, on the 2nd of March last year, yeah, last year now, Um, On the 2nd of March, a group of church leaders came together at the request of their president in St. Sophia Cathedral in Kyiv to pray. So they had Russian tanks closing in on their capital, and a friend of mine, a colleague of mine in the Ukrainian Bible Society, encouraged those church leaders to pray Psalm 31. And I'm just going to read it to you now. I'm going to skip a few bits because it's quite long. Um, But Psalm 31, it reads like this. I come to you, Lord, for protection. Never let me be defeated. You are a righteous God. Save me, I pray. Hear me, save me now. Be my refuge to protect me, my defense to save me. You are my refuge and defense. Guide me and lead me as you've promised. Keep me safe from the trap that has been set for me. Shelter me from danger. I place myself in your care. You will save me, Lord. You are a faithful God. You hate those who worship false gods, but I trust in you. I will be glad and rejoice because of your constant love. You see my suffering, you know my trouble. You have not let my enemies capture me. You have given me freedom to go where I wish. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in trouble. My eyes are tired from so much crying. I am completely worn out. I am exhausted by sorrow. Weeping has shortened my life. I am weak from all my troubles. Even my bones are wasting away. But my trust is in you, O Lord. You are my God. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord protects the faithful, but punishes the proud as they deserve. Be strong, be courageous, all you that hope in the Lord. If you ever find yourself wondering if a book that was written thousands of years ago can still be relevant in today's world, then close your eyes and try and imagine... I say try because you can't, but try to imagine how the people of Kiev felt on March of last year 
and then read that psalm, Psalm 31. The war continues. The horrors are still there. You see them in the news all the time. Neither the Bible nor our faith is like a magic spell that fixes everything and gives us all the answers in a nice box tied up with a bow. But there are thousands, there are millions of people in this hurting world finding comfort and courage in the words that have endured through the ages. God is speaking to the vulnerable through the Bible and his words are words of hope. In the face of hope, you get little cracks in that darkness. Hope, hope. Words of hope, cities of hope, a year of hope, people of hope. We use the word very liberally. Hope of the nations. Hope is a gift. Hope is a power that can change the world. When all seems lost, all seems meaningless, hope is the fuel that keeps us going. Hope. Rebellions are built on hope. That's not a quote from the Bible, but from Star Wars, Rogue One. You know I'm exactly the right age for Star Wars. I was one when the first Star Wars film came out. I was seven when Return of the Jedi hit the cinemas, and I went to see it twice. I remember dragging my mum to see it. Um, so I'm the perfect age for it. Return of the Jedi will always be my favorite because of that. But Rogue One is possibly the best of the Star Wars films, and its central theme is hope. Now, here's a little spoiler alert. So if, if you've not seen Rogue One, well, close your ears or something, but... Um, there's a little scene at the end where a soldier gives a disc containing the stolen plans for the Death Star to Princess Leia. Yeah, now, some of you will have no idea what I'm talking about. I've drawn a little picture, which I could have drawn when I was seven, just to explain what I'm talking about. So, I'm hoping that'll pop up. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Star Wars in a nutshell. Yeah, so you've got the Death Star. It's like the size of the moon, and it goes around the universe shooting planets up and exploding them. Yeah, it's horrible. It's kind of, it's got its own theme tune. It's, I'm not going to sing that, but it's, you know, this really dark force in the, in the Star Wars universe. So they've got the stolen plans for the Death Star with instructions of how to destroy it, and they give it to Princess Leia. The soldier says, this is the transmission that we've received. And then he says, what is it they've sent us? And she simply replies, hope. It's her only line in the film, but it's a goosebump moment for anybody that knows the kind of Star Wars world. And, and then it jumps to the closing credits, setting up for the opening of the next film, which is called A New Hope. You see, even secular storytellers get inspired by that notion of hope. You know, maybe we need to steal that Princess Leia line. You know, when we talk about the Bible, what is it you've got here? What is that? Hope. What's that app on your phone? Hope. What's that magazine? There's magazines on your, on your seats. What is that magazine? Hope. Um, why should I read the Bible? Hope. What do each of those dots on the map that we were looking at earlier represent? Hope. What have I got to learn from this 2,000-year-old book? Hope. Did you know there's a Bible on the moon? Did you know that? They sent a hundred microfiche Bibles on Apollo 14. There's a photograph of these, these Bibles. They're the size of a postage stamp. I'm hoping that's going to come up. They took a hundred of them up to the moon. And then for some strange reason, they brought them back home again. They didn't leave a single one of these high-tech Bibles on the moon. Now, I would have loved for someone in the future to arrive on the moon 
and find one of these little microfiches and give them to their friend and say, here you go, and that friend to say, what is it they've given us? And that person to turn around just like Princess Leia and say, hope. But it's not going to happen. However, there was one smart astronaut that took a Bible with him, and a kind of good old-fashioned pew Bible from a church. He took it up to the moon, and he left it on the dashboard of the, um, of the moon buggy. There's a photograph of it there. It's hope, and it's just sat on the dashboard. If you had a strong enough telescope, you could see it, if you don't believe in all the conspiracy theories, of course. But <laughs> there's a Bible on the moon. Um, and, you know, it might not be quite as high-tech, but it's still there as hope. So that's my kind of biggest geek part of this whole uh, talk over. I've got another question for you. Why, why is the Bible the most banned book in the world, the most controlled book in the world, I'd suggest it's not because it's poetic. It's not because it gives us lots of nice stories that can be turned into coloring books. It's not even because it gives us wisdom and instruction. It's because it gives people hope. And, to quote Star Wars, rebellions are built on hope. When you're trying to take people's freedom, when you're trying to use fear to, to crush people, when you're trying to keep people captive, when you're trying to keep people in their place, when you're trying to keep people quiet, hope is your enemy. And the Bible is it's freely available to us, but it's not really free. It's been carefully preserved for thousands of years. It's been translated, it's been revised, studied, brought back to life um, through sacrifice. Huge amounts of work and personal risk, quite literally blood, sweat, and tears have gone into getting these Bibles to us today. And why have our church ancestors, um, our predecessors, gone through all of this? Why are there people out there today, even now, in parts of the world, giving everything of themselves to make the Bible available to the next generation of church? I guess, you know, this is the transmission we've received. What is it they sent us? Hope. You know that phrase, Josh used it earlier. Um, evangelization of the nation, revitalization of the church, and transformation of society. You know... If we want to be a movement that says kingdom come here in Bristol, in the universities, in the schools, in the hospitals, in businesses, in shops, in the sports clubs, wherever we live and wherever there is need, and there is a lot of need, we need to rely on hope. We need to be people of hope. We need to use this book to, to fuel that. What is it they've sent us? Hope. And most people, they don't come across burning bushes. They don't come, kind of wake up in the night hearing God whispering their name. They don't get visited by angels. It's not to say that God doesn't do those sorts of things, doesn't use the supernatural ways to speak to his people. But when the word became flesh, it gave us a more reliable way of hearing from God. You see, Jesus was the word. His words to guide us, his life to bring hope, and his death to bring us back to God. And the Bible chronicles those words, that life, that death. It gives us context and it explains things as far as they can be explained. It gives us a way to hear from God. When God came to earth, it was like we could finally understand God because he came like us and he spoke our language. And what I hear is when people hear the Bible in their heart language, in their first language, their mother tongue, for the first time, they say things like, God speaks my language. He must understand me. He gets me. He gets us. Hope. When we read throughout the Bible, that kind of, it's like a mirror of the human condition, right? Um, people failing, people weeping, um, good people being persecuted and suffering, unfulfilled dreams, 
Um, heroes that mess up just like the rest of us. People that are called by God and just don't hear it or don't get it. You know, the Bible is warts and all. Um, it doesn't hide anything, it, but it gives us a connection. And through all of our own inadequacies or vulnerabilities, our losses and our failings, it gives us a hope that God gets us, God sees us, he still loves us, and will still use us. You know, availability is more important than ability. It's a hope. When people read stories from the Bible, um, echoing through the ages of healing, of enemies scattered, of captives being set free, of the little people doing the most significant things, of families restored, of hungry being fed, of death defeated, gives us hope. So, so when we've got this gift, you know, something like this, hope in a book, God's word, what's the natural response? You know, do we leave it on a shelf, completely unopened, unread? Or do we embrace it? Do we get excited about it? Um, do we wrestle with it, consume it, immerse ourselves in it, and try to figure out what it's saying to us? Do we try and join the dots, follow a narrative, try and understand it even more, talk with our friends and, and anyone else that will listen? Of course we do. We know what we ought to do. But it's difficult. You remember that slide that we put up about, you know, what, what are the barriers? Um, what are the barriers to reading the Bible? It's so difficult. Um, it's easy to take it for granted, to forget, get distracted, to find excuses. I'm, I do. I, I do. And I'm, to, I'm more than half preaching to myself in all of this. And I work for the United Bible Societies. It's kind of my job. And for all reasons, all kinds of reasons, it's, it's really hard. So I've just got a few little tips to, to bring us home at the end of this talk. as little tips for, for Bible reading. Um, and I would say, firstly, choose joy over discipline. You know, don't read the Bible because you feel you have to read the Bible, but be motivated by curiosity, by desire to hear from God, to, to find some of that hope, to find the plans that will start a rebellion or, or whatever. Um, you know, get that bit right, get the excitement bit right, and the discipline will follow. I'd say thank God that the Bible comes in all kinds of formats, all shapes and sizes, and find ones that work for you. Um, there's a QR link I think is going to on one of the screens. There we go. You can follow that QR link. It will take you to some great resources, things like Bible reader apps like the, the YouVersion app, but there are hundreds of them. If you just search for Bible in the app stores, you'll find a, a great one. And the Bible in one year, as, um, as Hattie and Josh were talking about earlier, that's in there too. Um, YouVersion and Faith Comes by Hearing have got, they give you access to audio Bibles. There's, um, there's a really neat thing called Lumo, which is on YouTube, I think where it enables you to, to see the Bible acted out, but also hear the Bible read to you as well at the same time. Um, the Bible Project have got some really great resources. I don't know if you've seen them, but they're really, really sound, and they're quite engaging, and it brings the Bible to life. There's a Bristol guy who, um, he's, a, he's creating these graphic novels, and, and they're historically accurate, so he's done a load of research into, you know, what did people look like, what kind of armor were soldiers wearing at the time, what were the buildings like, what was the landscape like? And he's built these graphic novels, which are bringing to life gospels and, and various books of the Old Testament as well. So there's, there's so much out there. And the, the Bible Society and the Scottish Bible Society are creating new formats of the Bible all the time and new, new resources to help us engage. You've got those, um, those magazines on your, on your seats. Take them away with you. It's, um, it's just a slightly different format. It looks a little bit different. It's basically, it's not a magazine. It's just the Gospel of John. Just the Gospel of John. Hope. There we go. Um, 
Next tip, don't try and do the heavy lifting on your own. So read the Bible with other people. When, when we saw that pop up, there, there were a lot of people that prefer to read the Bible on their own, but there's a lot of people that like to read the Bible with others. Um, actually, read, reading the Bible alone is quite a new phenomenon. You know, if you think about it through the ages, people are much more likely to be reading the Bible in groups and in churches and, and things like that. So, you know, reading the Bible as a community is so important. Um, this one might be a bit controversial, but don't overanalyze the Bible unless you're really called to it. Um, there are some brilliant people doing, you know, godly thinkers out there that are doing the hard work. I work with, with some of them. But rather for us, let's just immerse ourselves in the narrative and enjoy the gift of God speaking to us. But finally, in terms of questions, you know, when we read the Bible, ask yourself some simple questions. What is it that surprises us? I know when I read the Bible, I'm almost always surprised by something, and it catches me off guard. Um, what's perplexed you? There's a lot of perplexing stuff in the Bible, but wrestle with what's perplexing you because it's a good exercise to do. And then really, what's resonated you? And that question, so what? So what? What difference does this make? How might this impact me today? How might this impact my work? How might this impact our group? Um, you know, ask those questions as you're reading the Bible. Don't just read it and, and leave it at that, but actually try and wrestle with it. I'm more or less going to stop here. Um, I'd like to think that you'll, you'll see the Bible a little bit like those stolen plans from the Death Star as hope. You know, of course, when you're presented with something like that, you want to dive into it. You want to snoop around. You want to wrestle with it because it contains hope. And one thing that this city in which we live, the people that are around us, the situations that we face into, one thing they could really use a bit more of is hope. Should we pray? Dear Lord, we thank you that you came to bring hope. We thank you that you've inspired people by your spirit to write it down and that it's available to us today. And we just pray for, for people in this room that need hope. You know, we pray that you would help people to find hope in your world. We pray that if people are wrestling with all kinds of stuff, that they would find hope in your word, that you would reach out to them, that you would speak to them through the Bible. And I'm going to pray for, for those people that, that might be up for it. That prayer that Karen and I prayed <laughs> a while back. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be comfortable being comfortable. We pray that we can really grasp hold of that availability is more important than ability. We pray that we can step out in faith knowing that you're with us. And we pray that you would just continue to inspire us with your words. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.